The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 12, Collision Course. What's up, fellow Defenders? It is I, Chris, and this is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 218, where we're talking about The Punisher, season 2, episode 12, Collision Course. As always, I am joined by my illustrious co-hosts, the one and only John and Derek. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. I'm sorry I missed the last episode. That's all right, Chris. We knew it was a bit of a fluster cluck for you. It was. Uh, I basically went, <laughs> or I went two rounds with uh, the Punisher, also known as my dentist. Um, and I was so high on painkillers, Frank Castle could have literally thrown me around like a ragdoll. And <laughs> I wouldn't have noticed. Um, you were so close to joining us for the podcast as well. It was about 10 minutes beforehand yeah. when we realized your texts weren't making any sense. So we yeah. said, <laughs> likely, you probably shouldn't join us for this one. <laughs> it, it was it was brilliant. I came home and I was like, I'm so good with it. Like, I didn't know how bad I sounded. <laughs> that was I, so I literally sounded like a, a, a really bad mix of... Donald Trump with Scarface with um, Christopher uh, Walken all mashed together with Chris Eubank probably as well. Yeah, with a bit of Chris Eubank, so <laughs> our, our our UK listeners will understand. It was really like as I was talking like this, and I didn't know. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my god! And was and I in my head? I sounded perfect. Excellent. <laughs> I'm back for the good one. I miss clusterfuck. I miss Flustercluck. Um, <laughs> almost there, was, Chris. Almost. <laughs> almost. I missed this, but I'm back for at least our head-on collision course episode. Excellent stuff. Barrel towards the end of this season two. Yes, we do a barrel roll in an ambulance towards the finish line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, well, fellow defenders, I'm here as well. It is I, your third and final host, rounding out the group, John. And I'm your producer and uh, Slash. co-host. Derek. Yeah, so I like to call him producer slash producer, but that's not right. Uh, somebody else has copyrighted that. They have t-shirts yeah. made and everything, Chris. We can't they steal do. that. They do. God bless kind of funny. And they'll totally sue us too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're fellow best friends. It's fine. <laughs> well, one thing important to note for our fellow defenders, uh, we obviously are recording this podcast after the big news uh, that there are no longer going to be any more Marvel Netflix series coming out on Netflix. The announcement came in this week. Uh, the Punisher is Boo. on its final two episodes uh, on Netflix, or we're our final two episodes of The Punisher. Uh, there will be no more on Netflix. Uh, and also, Jessica Jones has been confirmed to be the final season. We had actually speculated last year when Melissa Rosenberg was leaving the show, as she is the main showrunner, the one that kind of guided this to the screen. We kind of speculated that without her on the show, it probably wouldn't have the same vision. So it's very likely that it would have been shelved anyway. Um, but it, it has been confirmed that that's going to be the final of the shows. We are on the 12th episode, being the penultimate one of this season. We're probably going to hold off our actual discussion on the cancellation of these shows until we talk about it on our finale podcast, because it just makes more sense to actually have seen the full season before we make a comment on whether it was the right thing to do, I suppose. But obviously, as it does for our fellow defenders, it sucks for us because we do cover specifically the Marvel Netflix shows, and there's no longer going to be any of those coming up. Yes, I think we are all pretty, pretty upset that the Marvel Netflix shows are coming to an end. But mm-hmm. of course, yeah, more thoughts uh, in our episode 13 Ooh, uh, discussion. Yes, unlucky for some. 
Yes, it is, unfortunately, but we still have a whole episode 12 to review. So, if you have any thoughts on this episode, or of course, and if you have thoughts on uh, episode 13 or the season as a whole, don't forget to join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV Podcast. You can also send us your voicemail thoughts uh, over at DefendersTVPodcast.com, or you can send us your thoughts of season 2 as a whole, or just episode 13 to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com, so we'll make sure to include all of that in our episode 13 review. Absolutely. Yes. And obviously, we're not just covering the Netflix Marvel shows. We don't always do just that. We also cover the Marvel movies. We've got Captain Marvel coming up in March, on the 8th of March. Uh, we've obviously got Avengers Endgame coming up later on in the year. We've got Spider-Man Far From Home coming up later on in the year. And we also cover comic books. We cover Doctor Strange comics every month. Uh, there's a brand new issue just out this week, issue number 11 of Doctor Strange uh, by Mark Wade and his assays. Uh, myself and John will be covering that as well. You should be getting that on your feed on Strange Tales at Defenders TV podcast as well coming up next week. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can get all of our coverage of all of our wonderful Marvel stuff. Yes, just pick your punishing or pacifist podcast catcher of choice. Mm -hmm. Yes, so gentlemen, let's dive headfirst, almost like a collision course towards episode 12 and our coverage of it. So before we get into our top five bullet points, Derek, do you want to give us the episode details? Yes, this episode was directed by Stephen Kay. This is his first episode of a Marvel TV show. He's been working on both sides of the camera over the years, directed loads of episodes of TV shows like Sons of Anarchy and Covert Affairs. And he was also an actor on General Hospital a couple of years ago. Uh, recently, he's been working on the Western series Yellowstone, starring Kevin Costner. Sure, what else was Kevin Costner be doing other than a, a Western show? Huh? Yeah, I wondered where he'd got to, actually. Yeah. Old Costner. Yeah, it's into its second season, so I uh, must check that out. I've always liked the westerns of Kevin Costner. I'm not a huge western fan, but I always liked his westerns. I just think of uh, Waterworld. Yeah, I'm me just too. Like, if you give me a series of Waterworld that's like Sons of Anarchy and COVID Affairs, <laughs> I'd be down for that. But, like, okay. Um, I was never a big fan of Waterworld, probably because the bad guys were called the Smokers, and the reason why was because they smoked. <laughs> I think that was a little too low concept for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his best works is definitely um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, you see, there's a tie right there. Huh? But, I mean, Bodyguard was pretty much a yawn fest, along with Dances with Wolves, which was like the assassination of Jesse James uh, by the murderer Robert Ford or whatever it was that just went on forever. <laughs> Oscar winning movies. There's uh, only, by John. yeah, there is only so much of an epic skyline that you can watch. Well, we don't cover Oscar-winning movies over here. Maybe this year we might get a Black Panther winning an Oscar this year. Yeah, so that'd we have be cool. covered that. That was pretty cool. <laughs> but the other person involved in this episode, Darius Scardapane, is the writer for this episode. Uh, he has been an executive producer on The Punisher right back from the start of Season 1. Uh, this is his fourth episode of the show after Resupply in Season 1 and Home, which was also the penultimate episode of Season 1. Um, he also did One-Eyed Jacks this season, which was 205. Weirdly, that's the episode that I pretty much didn't recommend because of the brawl with the Russians that I think went too far. Has he redeemed himself to me in this episode because there's multiple fight sequences in here? Let's see, John. Yeah, but in fairness to him, he could have simply have written a fight between Frank Castle and uh, the Russians. Mm -hmm. And it was up to the creative choice of the actors and the direction from the director. It could have been, could have been. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Detective Sergeant Brett Mahoney has Frank Castle in custody, handcuffed in the back of an ambulance. 
While Dina Madani is pleading with Mahoney on the phone to set him free, the pilgrim crashes and almost kills them, pushing the ambulance off a road bridge. While taking aim to finish the job, John Pilgrim is run off the road by a speeding Madani. As he escapes in Madani's car, Frank goes to confront the only lead he has, Senator David Schultz. He gets no information from Schultz and kidnaps him to interrogate him more. Meanwhile, Curtis is also being interrogated, this time by John Pilgrim, for the location of Amy. As she walks through the door, Curtis unleashes an attack on the Pilgrim and Amy drives him off with a shotgun. As he heads back to his apartment to heal his wounds, little does he know that Amy has followed him home, hidden in the boot of his car. As Billy Russo cashes in, Dina Madani confronts Dr. Dumont and sends her flying. Sends her flying indeed. For a very short amount of time. Yes. Well, I believe I can fly, flying without wings, any other song <laughs> reference I can put in here. But gentlemen, I think more importantly, now that she is or has reached her for- unfortunate demise, let's get into our top five bullet points for this episode. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, let's kick in right at the beginning with an ambulance ambush. Yeah, no doubt in this episode when we're writing up our bullet points, sometimes we skip around the episode, sometimes we get to a big moment at the end, sometimes we grab a big moment at the middle. This is the best opener for this season of The Punisher, I think. Uh, this opening scene where we have uh, Mahoney finally thinking he has Castle in, com- in custody. He's talking to him in the back of the car. He's on the phone to uh, Madani, pleading with him, going, no, no, you don't understand. This guy's actually one of the good ones. Uh, he'll, he'll save your life. He saved mine kind of thing in the car. And then over to the side, we get John Pilgrim in a police car. We knew he was Terminator-like going through the hospital trying to find uh, Frank in the last episode, but really didn't expect him to start trying to run them off the road as they come up. I love Mahoney's reaction because he sees the police car and the sirens come up and goes oh finally some backup <laughs> nope <laughs> not at all absolutely uh, what a great car chase or ambulance chase i think great opening um really full of action mm-hmm. um and really tense i mean that moment where it goes flying off the the bridge as well it was just like that was a great bit of stunt work Absolutely. with presumably a proper ambulance uh, and i have to say I really did think that Mahoney was going to be dead in there because the cabin of that ambulance uh, in that stunt just got crushed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was almost too good because it was like, oh, he's still alive. How on earth did he just survive that? (laughs) Uh Um, Because it was just so well done. Like, it was proper epic. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the the opening. But actually, what really got my blood pumping was when um, basically Pilgrim arrives to basically go after Frank and finish off the job. Mm-hmm. And you have Madani careening into him. And then we get that scene where she's actually steps out of the car, starts looking for him. Uh-huh. And you have that slow pan around each of the cars. And she's look. I'm like, oh, he's under, he's under the car. He's going to shoot her like ankles or something. Or I was just expect yeah. constantly expect. And then all you hear is the car take off in the background. I'm like, oh my God. It's like that really was the the moment I was like, ah, and then we get back to Frank 
But that moment with Madani and the Pilgrim, I thought was amazing. It's so good, especially because you're hearing her on the phone call to to Mahoney in the car, and then she arrives pretty soon afterwards and does that awesome move yeah. where she just hits her her accelerator and brake at the same time and flips the car into into Pilgrim. Throughout the rest of the episode, we see that really gore uh, ridden damage right through the middle of uh, of the Pilgrim's body when he lifts up his shirt. It looks like something stabbed him straight through the center of his stomach. It looks really really painful, and I love that you see his hat on the ground just beside. The uh, just beside the blood that was left behind after the damage caused by Madani as well. Yeah, that was nicely done. It, it kind of did slightly remind me of Deadpool a bit uh, on that oh, sort nice. of elevated freeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in in terms of the the action sequence, the car chase, and and Madani uh, sort of getting lost in the traffic. But I mean, yeah, the Pilgrim really does get pretty beaten up in this episode, and it all kind of starts here really mm-hmm. uh, with that great kind of. Uh, skid and, and drift by Madani into him as he as she knocks him uh you know flying basically it's kind of what you want to do to any traffic warden really i suppose oh um, for all our fellow defenders who are traffic wardens john doesn't mean <laughs> no that. i don't actually. not you not no. you i think you're right john amber rose riva for a remake maybe of tokyo drift <laughs> the fast and furious movies yeah. they're up at like number nine now they must be going back to remaking them now shouldn't they yeah definitely <laughs> and to be honest madani's facial expressions were on full display uh, here as well uh, and we definitely get a lot of face from uh dina madani in this yeah, episode but speaking of uh kind of face we see frank actually saving face here as well because he <laughs> does actually free mahoney so frank frees himself he was gonna leave mahoney there dangling after he pops his shoulder back in mm-hmm. and then he noticed the flame this is kind of giving our punisher the heart and the the moral code and mm-hmm. I'm like, it was a nice way to do it because now we have Mahoney as a quasi-ally, I suppose. Yeah, kind of. It, it is really interesting. We were wondering about this because obviously the last time we saw Mahoney before the series was the last episode of uh, Daredevil Season 3, um, where he's effectively standing in the same room where Daredevil has not killed Kingpin, which is what everybody thought Daredevil was going to do, especially because of the possibility that Daredevil was the murderer that all the press had made him out to be. And we saw Mahoney going, no, that's the good Daredevil. And this season, what he's been confronted with is, is Frank Castle the vigilante that the press seem to think he is will he just murder everybody in sight or does he actually have a heart does he choose right and wrong and we do get a bit of an answer in here for Mahoney so it's not necessarily that he's on the side of Frank Castle what we have is the conversation between himself and Madani where Madani says he saved your life the same way he saved mine he's not a good guy he's also not a bad guy you've just got to let Frank be Frank is that enough for you Chris on a way to justify kind of allowing Mahoney to be on his side in a way or allowing Mahoney just let him away a bit? See, I think they were building towards Mahoney being the kind of Commissioner Gordon Mm -hmm. of New York, where almost like a Batman year one, like where... Or Gotham. Or Gotham, yeah. So, well, he doesn't agree with the, 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 the ways of the vigilantes and he it kind of demoralizes him, but he understands the necessary need. I think that's where they were taking him because now that he's been saved by frank but in mm-hmm. like daredevil he understands only one man can do the job and at the end of obviously daredevil season three they all rush into the room and he stops the the other police officer from even taking out daredevil 
because mm-hmm. he understands he's he he was there to help. I think time will tell in the next hour if this act of kindness or act of moral code because it's not even an act of kindness. I think it's more of Frank just being no man left behind, no man innocence going to die on me. Um, I think time will tell if the, in in the next episode, like when Frank's walking away from a bloody and battered Billy Russo and Pilgrim, whether he'll let him go again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one here because for me, I just feel like Mahoney has been that voice of reason or that, you know, everyday cop that would view the situation with Frank. Um, and I, I mean, I know like Frank has been called out as that anti-hero, you know, mm-hmm. that those shades of grey. Um, but I do think for me, I've always thought that Mahoney's issue with Frank has been that he kills people um, and Daredevil doesn't. And I I think it's because Daredevil works with Mahoney, whereas Frank doesn't and he hasn't and he's not wanted to. Yes, he's saved him. Will that be enough? It'll be interesting. I mean, at least initially he pulls the gun on him uh, and says he's going to you know, still take him in and he still needs to. And I'm not too sure, for me anyway, how um, how much he is really sort of taking in what Madani is saying. I, that would be really interesting to see how, how that plays out. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, to be honest, but certainly I like the fact that, you know, he is the second law enforcement agent that has been rescued from a burning vehicle by Frank in the same way that Madani was. Um, I, I think that's that's a nice little sort of touch point there yeah. for the two. And I think what is really good is if that is the touch point, that's the thing that links Madani and Mahoney, mm-hmm. but that they still have different opinions because I, I think uh, that would be really good. Yes, he's saved him. Yes, he's thankful, but he's still broken the law. And I'm not going to come out with, well, that's just Frank. You've got to let Frank do what Frank does. Otherwise, yeah, where do you stop with that? Yeah, that would not be the best law enforcement policy uh, to to continue with. Absolutely, and I know we're going to see a bit more of that play out. Obviously, next episode in the final episode. But yes, I do totally agree with you, John. The idea that that's a con- a convincing argument from Madani. Well, he's not a good guy, but he's also not a bad guy. He's just Frank. Just you got to let Frank be Frank, which means letting a guy <laughs> kill people around New York. Mm, not really going to work for a police officer. I also thought I'd never say law enforcement policy on this podcast. <laughs> Send in your thoughts on the latest law enforcement policy, fellow defenders. Or or, or don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or don't absolutely. Because I, I, you, you'd literally be saying I agree. I'm like, yep, cool. I have no skin in this game. I don't understand it but gentlemen <laughs> lock him up and throw away the key <laughs> uh, speaking of ignorance or a uh, lack of knowledge let's move on to bullet point number two pilgrim versus curtis so mm-hmm. curtis gets the, the raw end of a, a of a knuckle duster here um for pleading ignorance mm-hmm. i absolutely love the scene it shows that even though as we'd said last episode that we thought that curtis was out now we thought that having killed somebody because of Frank's war, 
uh, Curtis was pulling himself away from everybody that he was connected with. Actually, wasn't expecting him to be there when Pilgrim arrived at the caravan. Uh, I thought he'd be gone. It was just going to be Amy inside or nobody and Pilgrim is going to wait for, for Amy to return. The fact that Curtis is not only there, he's also got the presence of mind to keep everything from the Pilgrim and to make up this whole concept that actually he's sleeping with Madani. That's why she knows where he is. That's why he's uh, that's why he's been waiting there is for Madani to come over and have the booty call, as he says, you know. But they have one of my favorite fights, I think, in this episode. Because, again, Curtis is quite well trained. You know, he has been in the army. I know he's a, he's a medical man. He's not usually adept at fighting but he certainly throws himself into this fight with the pilgrim really really good yeah i mean it's brutal i have to say i feel so sorry for curtis i was just thinking he always gets the rough end of the stick and to be honest i thought he was going to end up the way of stick in defenders actually that um he was going to really effectively get shot Mm -hmm. and to be to begin with i thought he was going to get shot in the kneecap and i thought that the pilgrim was going to hit his false knee yeah um and then that that would have played out quite nicely um but then he definitely just goes mad for it really i think in in, uh, attacking the pilgrim trying to protect amy as she walks in i thought that was a really nice moment as well you know he's kept it cagey as you say um and then all of a sudden it's like the cover is blown um in walks amy and you get a great fight scene Um, i really thought this episode was just fantastic for um the the fights and action sequences uh and i think the best so far uh this series for me to be honest but um absolutely i I love that when amy walks in through the door what she's talking about as she walks in is hey curtis we saved frank we got him out of the hospital as uh curtis has been protecting her name and protecting frank and saying he has no connection with them she's coming in through the door going yay everybody's here i'm amy uh my friend frank has been safe in the hospital so i can't even pretend that she's not the person (laughs) that pilgrim's looking for (laughs) yeah again like amy has a way of putting her foot in her mouth really and like it's the best mm-hmm. way of putting it. but i did really like that she straight away went for the shotgun and mm-hmm. she ripped pilgrim a new one like if that wasn't filled with buckshot and that was a full-on cartridge on both mm-hmm. like that would have it would have been that would have been the end of the pilgrim so to be fair she she learned from castle her training, quote unquote, kicked in. So uh, the tough love, to a degree that he showed, um, did actually work and save her life. Yeah, for the second yeah, time. Yeah, for the second yeah, time. This is the second time she's pulled the gun and, and pulled the trigger exactly as Frank has told her to do. Um, I think actually Pilgrim saves himself a little bit by stepping behind a cupboard just as she pulls the trigger. So part of the door is blown off as well as the bookshot going through it and into his leg as well. You know, yeah, if it had been any closer, that would have ripped the leg off him. Absolutely. I mean, that was so brutal as well when he's patching himself up mm. yet again um, in back in his hotel room where his leg looked, I, well, I don't know, it looked like a spotted dick kind of pudding. Um, <laughs> it looked like a scone. He was picking out the raisins uh, from from a scone. So two things that our American listeners won't get. Our Irish listeners, because what the hell's a scone, uh, firstly? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, two types of, uh, of breaded uh, products there. From sweet, yeah, sweet I breaded mean, products. Uh, I was thinking like a poppy seed bread, maybe. Well, who, I'm going with Swiss cheese because there's to... a lot of holes, people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I like that idea. Uh, 
<laughs> poppy seed bread. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't shop in Tesco's. Um, <laughs> or 7-Eleven. And that's a supermarket. Yeah, or 7-Eleven. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just like brutal. And I, I do like the fact that, again, it, it, it's this um, mirroring of Frank that, I do think by the end of this episode, the Pilgrim is absolutely much worse off than Frank. You know, he's got that gash. He's got his leg shot to bits. Um, He's also still recovering from that fight with his former gang members. So Mm -hmm. he's definitely, um, I think, in worse shape than than Frank at the end of this. And I mean, if, you know, they they meet up in the last episode, which I'm sure they're going to do, I can't really see him lasting that long. But... I like the fact that it mirrors the two of them. You know, we've talked about them having, to an extent, a similar type of um, story, but they've just gone different ways. One has gone as a hitman, the other one a vigilante uh, slash hitman, in a sense. Um, And I like the fact that them kind of slowly being beaten up gradually is also being mirrored in their separate journeys. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to give huge compliments to the makeup artists on this show because <laughs> just even getting the continuity right between uh, the two guys, particularly, uh, I suppose, uh, with Pilgrim and with Frank, each episode getting more and more brutalized <laughs> and more and more broken and, you know, more and more gashes on their on their bodies. And obviously with Billy as well, with the scars on his face, keeping that continuity every episode as well. There's just so much great work being done on the makeup side of the show and they should be winning all the makeup awards this year. <laughs> They should. Yeah, definitely. They definitely should. But we do get an end to this story in that Amy, again, her training kicks in. She escapes through the hatch that um, underneath the trailer that Frank had built for them. She gets out. We are led to believe that she uh, got away um, and Mm -hmm. scot free. And then obviously Frank arrives back, tries calling her phone and her phone is there in the ground. So there is a... There's a nice few seconds where we think that she's been taken by the pilgrim. Um, but mm-hmm. actually, she she stupidly followed the pilgrim. <laughs> yeah. She got into mm. the back of Madani's car, uh, into the boot, and uh, waited until he the car had stopped and he, she followed him upstairs yes. at the same time as going, ooh, there's a big shotgun. So we're left with her story being outside the Pilgrim's hotel door with a mm-hmm. big-ass shotgun. Yeah, she's going for the other leg, I reckon. I I reckon that Frank may have just trained her a little too well if he wanted to keep her safe and out of trouble. I think he's trained her enough that she thinks she can get herself into trouble and out of it. Um, probably not the best idea. You know, obviously, if this was Frank with his military training, we'd all be going, yay, he's, he's about to take out the Pilgrim. But uh, Amy only has, you know, a couple of hours or a couple of days sitting in the caravan playing with a shotgun, that's not going to be enough to help her take down the, take down even this heavily injured pilgrim. No, and I, I I made the joke at the beginning of the season that it was the little Punisher. L-I-L <laughs> apostrophe uh, Punisher. Chris can't spell Punisher. No, he can't. Chris is tired. Chris can't spell much. Chris could barely spell little. Um, no, I, I think... What's she going to do? She's got, what, three cartridges in a pump-action shotgun like that? I, I'd say she probably has two, I think. Yeah. Um, she may have ha- may have a third one in her pocket, but she's going to have to load that one. But again, that, that does a lot of damage if it's up close. And he, if caught unawares, uh, she could do some serious damage. Um, but again, if it's anybody else or anybody with a lot of training, possibly, 
I have to say it was the biggest surprise for me. I did not expect that that's where we'd see Amy. I thought she'd be on a Greyhound bus out of town. <laughs> so that, having got away from Frank and gotten away from Curtis, I thought she was gone now. But uh, but yeah, I was really surprised to see it. I was expecting Madani's uh, apartment. And that's kind of where my head went. That right. Madani, that's where Madani's story would go to. I thought that's where Amy would end up because that's the only other place in New York that that she knows is safe to a degree. So mm-hmm. I thought that's where they're going. No, this I'm interested to see where this goes. Exactly. I, I think yeah, this time. left it to a degree, this this character on a bit of a, oh, you're going to make a mistake, but I really want to see how you make it. That's cool. Let's do it. Exactly. A nice little cliffhanger for Amy's story for next episode. But talking about leaving town, our bullet point number three. Well, this was kind of a shock to me. Yeah, definitely. Billy actually plans to leave town. I know, what's he thinking? Was I mean, that a real surprise to you guys? Because the conversation he's having with Dumont, where Dumont is watching the news and seeing that Frank's escaped and gotten out, and we hear Billy accusing her of hiding it from him, it doesn't sound hugely jokey in that moment. He sounds like he's actually quite aggressive. She's telling him, you are coming back, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going off to get the travel papers. I'll be right back after I kill Frank, is what you're, you're thinking Definitely. he's saying under his breath to her. A really well-played moment from Billy Russo, but I was honestly surprised at the turn of this story. But that was it. When the gang reunites, I was expecting them to kind of go and finish the job. And maybe it was just in that moment, but I mean, you know, Billy does only meet the remaining five gang members because they've all been shot to to bits mm-hmm. by, by Frank. And I, I kind of liked how it played out. I thought they were going to turn on Russo. I thought he was uh, in, in a little bit of jeopardy there, to be honest. But ultimately, um, whilst they won't pay back, Billy Russo really doesn't. I mean, he does say something to Krista that, um, you know, once he's cut out the cancer of frank that he doesn't want to go back to that you know that that feeling he had in that moment was um that closure for him and um i i kind of like that and how he's trying to persuade the gang and i definitely thought they were going to turn on him but it it was also uh, a bit of a shock but i i kind of i think just the fact it was unexpected i really uh thought okay fair enough um i like this um and of course you know in the back of my mind i was thinking well it's not all going to end uh in blue flowers and uh heading off into the sunset from Mm -hmm. new york to a a new life i i kind of thought that billy was going to get uh brought rapidly back into the world of frank castle and in fact dare i say it dina madani well absolutely what do you think chris so for the period that this was happening from when it was announced to, to say the end of the episode right i'm like no this is not how this is not how it should go like this mm-hmm. is not the jigsaw that we want this is not the the ending or the resolution like i don't want to see billy go off into the sunset to come back at a later point um like 10 years later type of thing <laughs> and you just see him like he's like sipping my ties on a beach kind of thing that's not what i wanted of the character so they actually had me they, they they built enough here that i was like no this is not how it's supposed to go so i i was a bit miffed for a period obviously the ending of this episode we talked about it before the empathy for billy I got the feeling that's where it was heading. I was like, they want you to think, oh, Billy's still a good human being. He's done a lot wrong, but he's still a human being, so he, why can't he have his happily ever after? 
And that's where they, they were trying to get the empathy there. He's like, he's in love too. He can, he wants to be a better man. He's going to go off with Dumont. And I'm like, no, he doesn't deserve that. He's done horrible, despicable things. He, do, he deserves in jail or with a bullet in his head. And that's where I was like, this, this is not the way it should be. Obviously, again, I'm saying this, this was the, for the, across the period of what, 30 minutes probably from when, or not even, from when this is announced to the end of the episode. So there, there's a period where I was like, mm, this is not sitting well with me. So as Dario, the writer, kind of probably intended, was that you are expected to believe that this is what's going to happen. And then, mm. obviously, it doesn't. I think it was a nice rug pull, really. Um, yeah, definitely. For, for our emotions, as you say, Chris. You know, the conversation that he is having with Dumont, I'm absolutely in Dumont's head going, I don't believe this guy for a second. He must have read that line about cutting the cancer out of the body and uh, not allowing it to go back. He must have read that somewhere and decided to use that to placate me. These are just statements that he's making. He's absolutely going to get his gun and go after the guy. And when he's standing in front of his gang as well, you're kind of going, yeah, yeah, he's got them together to go after Frank. He's like, one last time, guys, because he promoted because he got them last time but it made loads of sense that the gang were looking at him going hang on a second there's only five of us left there were like 30 <laughs> of us all drinking and having great times and then you told us to go up against frank castle and they're, they're all dead uh, your psychologist prescribed what the death of 25 people <laughs> uh, so that you can you can think of bambi and like little birds uh-huh. flying around in the forest uh, it was kind of. I did like that kind of. Um, what yeah. is going on here? Uh, but the great thing as well is that you know by the end of the episode, I love the fact that his smiley little jigsawy face um, does get that glare back in in the eyes as uh, you know he sees what has unfolded uh, before him on the pavement. <laughs> or or collapsed. No, that's probably folded. Folded is probably the better way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but one other thing, just to say about these scenes here with his gang, um, I like that he is paying reparations to them. You know, he kind of thinks that maybe, even though he can't bring back the rest of the gang that lost their lives because of Castle, um, he has bought them all a new identity so they can get away and they can get out of town. He's given them all passports. It is kind of funny. I think it might probably just be an editing, but he specifically gives the passports or the new identity to three people. And there's one guy that's looking on the whole time and never gets a passport. <laughs> and Billy walks out. And I was like, I'm going, does Billy just not like that guy? Or did they just edit out that moment with him? You know, they, they just give the intention that everybody gets a passport, but he just hands one out to three guys and two guys, I think, don't get passports of the, of the guys in the room, which I just thought was quite funny. But, uh, but I think it's quite a nice moment for him because he is sealing off his old days. He does go back and you see him you know that the guy who's selling the flowers in the street is like oh do you want something and billy goes no initially and then he kind of goes well if i'm going to start a new life with this woman that i love maybe i should buy her flowers going home you know maybe that's the new billy that's starting out right here doesn't last very long but i do like that they give him this uh, this new side we have a little bit of feedback that's going to talk specifically about something i want to talk about uh, later on about this scene with billy though okay well if we have some feedback let's park the remainder of this and move on to bullet point number four mm. and this is something we've been wanting for what like five episodes now um mm. bullet point number four <laughs> frank finds david schultz and yeah I'm, I'm gonna let you guys take with this because i have some thoughts and i want to hear yours first before i cause derek having to do a lot of editing 
gentlemen, what do you think first of this? Um, I was really intrigued. Uh, it's a really smart way of doing this, I suppose, because Frank is being attacked by the Pilgrim, still has never actually searched for the reason as to why Pilgrim's been after him, other than the photograph. You know, that that's the simple side that he has of the story, I suppose. Um, he's worked out roughly what the idea is, but the only lead he has is David Schultz, this person that's in the photograph. What is it? What is the meaning behind this photograph more than just the top level, I suppose? Um, so he goes after David Schultz. I do like the the scene with him because, as we saw from the only other scene we've had this season with David Schultz where he talks to his father, um, he seems completely innocent. He has no idea what's going on in the world outside of his life as a senator. Um, I was actually quite surprised he's already a senator. He's already in office. He's not. He's looking to go for presidential office in the future, but he already is a sitting senator in New York, which I thought was quite, quite surprising, I suppose. But I like the first thing he gets from the Punisher is a punch in the face. Um, hardly any questions. It's kind of that Han Solo moment of... Did they ask you anything? What did they want from me? And he's like, I don't know. I just got punched in the face <laughs> to the floor. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. They just didn't ask me anything. You know? Yeah, I mean, it was, I suppose, it. this was a scene that I really am glad they introduced. I think I would have liked it sooner mm-hmm. because there was an element for me where um, I just didn't really have too much thought with david schultz or about him even to the extent where i thought you know is he double bluffing does he actually really know what his parents are doing for him right. because he's certainly in that um driving range scene he certainly knows that they are trying to uh, keep hidden from their local community about his sexual preference. So, I mean, to some extent, you yeah. know, because his dad comes out and says there are, you know, there are um, some uh, transgressions that can be forgiven because he he, he takes the Lord's name in vain uh, after a really bad golf shot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he makes that pointed remark to his son. So, you know, he knows the extent to which he is hiding it himself as well within public office. Yeah. So... There was part of me kind of going, you know, because we've not had enough screen time with this character, I'm just not entirely sure whether I should be feeling sorry for him in mm-hmm. this moment when Frank's pummeling him, um, both at his home and in the caravan, or whether actually he deserves everything he gets because um, he's complicit with what the Schultz is doing. We've not seen enough of that dynamic for mm-hmm. me to... to have much kind of feeling as to where I should lie with David Schultz. And I think that was my kind of main issue here. Right. Um, I think the other funny thing was just the fact that, uh, you know, as Frank walks into the really plush um, apartment block, um, he passes a number of well-heeled people who don't seem to bat an eyelid that the cop is looking bruised, battered, and as rough as anything. Do you know, I think that's a commentary because there are two people out on the street that see him just before walking into the hotel and both of them turn around and instantly react and they've had much less time looking anywhere near Frank. I think it's a commentary on the fact that the well-heeled people inside aren't looking at him at all. They see the uniform and they completely blind well, what yeah. he looks like. Uh, two other quick things about David Schultz. Uh, that I just want to say, Chris, before we hand it over to you, I suppose. Um, one, I don't think he knows anything about what happens with his parents. And I think that's kind of interesting because I wonder how many times in the past this has happened. His reaction when Frank shows him the photograph is, well, it was bound to get out eventually. 
He doesn't seem hugely shocked that people might find out that he's gay at some point in his life, which I think is an interesting little bit of development from David Schultz. And again, like you said, John, I'd love to have seen that much earlier on in the season so we could see a really strong gay character on this show going, I don't really care what anybody thinks. Somebody, somebody will find out eventually. I just didn't lie about it, perhaps. You know, I didn't didn't want to cover my story all the time with having a wife and kids and come out as being gay. I'm a gay guy, and I just didn't talk about it. I love if that would be a storyline that happened during the Punisher this season. But one extra little element that was added in in the conversation with Frank, which we just didn't put together, I suppose, because there's been so many scandals going on around the world, what we didn't really get from it is what Frank is saying is many, many people died to protect these photographs from getting in the hands of the Russians and what the Russians would have done with them for a sitting congressman who was going to become president means you would be put in their control. And all of these people died because of you, David Schultz, effectively. So really interesting. It is definitely a commentary on one of the scandals that went on uh, during the presidential race a couple of years ago. That's where they've taken it from. But there just has been so many that we didn't put it together that that's exactly what has happened here. Frank knows that that's what it is. He doesn't give a crap about the photographs. We didn't give a crap about the photographs. Our listeners all were going, this makes no sense. Why is this such a big thing? But it's the fact that the Russians would have something on. David Schultz, and he would be in their pocket going into government. That's where the dynamic is coming from. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I would have probably framed it in a worse way because okay. this should have happened three to four episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Like, that is an interesting story. Basically, Frank stopping them getting into the hands of the Russians Frank then kidnapping David and David basically realizing that it had to be his parents and then Frank realizing it and kind of saying, okay, cool. Like now I have my target. And then mm-hmm. like leaving New York to go to in the last two episodes to go to the back arse of nowhere where it is almost like that film Hot Fuzz where it would be Frank armed to the teeth versus a village uh, or a town <laughs> of fully armed Christians who back the Schultzes and this is the Punisher coming to kill them. So that would have been amazing. Well, fully armed farmers and their moms. Yeah, right? true. That would have been... Like, can you even imagine, like, the Granny Schultz just coming out with, like, a nice AK-47? Like, I want Hot Fuzz 2 starring Punisher. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that would be great. But, gentlemen, this is so too little too late. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just... I don't understand why they waited so long. They basically dragged this out since the very first episode. And for me, it's been dragged. It was an interesting storyline that got underused, underdeveloped, and it did not deserve. And I know we talked about this when we found out about the whole um, from the Russians, when we found out it was just about the gay kiss and it was about the Schultzes. I think that was all the way back in episode five. So we're that far removed now. We're in episode 12. And that's when Frank has a chance to go, like, to go after this. If they wanted to, they should have made, like, part one was about the Schultzes and closing that down. Within the background, we have um, Billy kind of building his army and all that. Like, that's then the background subplot. And then once the Schultzes are dealt with on episode six or seven, it shifts towards going like Billy's army has now been built and 
because the Punisher didn't have time to deal with both of them. He had to deal with the Schultzes first because they were going after a little girl and it was his code. And then he decided to deal with Billy. But instead, what we got was this mix of constant... Basically, it was two storylines, two comic books, trying to be shoved into one cohesive mess. I, I know I'm being very animated about this and flowery in my language, but it's because this was interesting to me, and I just feel yeah. it's fallen flat. Like, we're now going into the last episode, and he still has two massive threats like the episode 13, which in some previous seasons of these shows, which has been the the kind of the very end uh, kind of cleanup and then a bit more exposition. But we're going into this being quite a big closing uh, explosion of an episode, but with too much to do, too many loose ends to tie up. So I I very much worry we're not going to get the, 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 the resolution that we want on a lot of these storylines. And I feel, mm-hmm. I don't know whether this was, because maybe they wrote it and like this was the original storyline and yeah. something happened and they were like, okay, well, we can't. It was, I, I think this was written, what, last year? Like, was there something that happened? They're like, okay, we can't do that. We can't go so close to reality. Um, but anyway, look, like that was my thoughts on this. And I, I just, I know I've kind of rambled there for at least a good three minutes, but it's not rambling. It's just my it's soft, my feelings, gentlemen. And I know other people are with me on this. Don't yeah. worry, it won't be three minutes after the anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think generally, just, you know, as a general point about the series and how this episode fits into it, it does feel for me that they've spent maybe a little too much time in New York and with Billy yep. and not enough time in the country uh, with the Schultzes. Um, and I, I think that... It, I completely agree. I think I wish we'd gotten this a little sooner. And, and even just when, you know, it was looking like it was going to be happy ever after for Billy Russo, you were kind of like thinking, okay, so what's all that about that we've seen previously? Now, I okay. You only just went, at least that's him off the table for the rest of the season, because at least we can just have the big bad, which is yeah. Pilgrim versus Frank. It actually feels like they came out of season one and went, wow, everybody likes Billy Russo. Let's make him the other part of this of the second season. And let's have Frank as the first part and him as the second part and just follow their two stories and see where it takes us. A little bit like, you know, by a digital jazz man. Um, that's what it kind of felt like they were just playing with the storyline of those two characters. And actually, the interesting storyline, as we've said from the start, was Pilgrim. Well, I wanted to find out more and I wanted to have more of this. Uh, there's one other thing I want to address before we get off this point. Um, I just thought it was slightly interesting. I don't know, again, whether there was some kind of editing problem here. But David and Frank are having the conversation and David realizes that it's his parents. It can only be his parents that did this. It can only be his parents. And he's going, it, but it can't be them. And Frank goes, they did it. Not meaning that Frank knows who did it, just meaning that whoever David is talking about did it. How does Frank know it's his parents when he takes the phone off David and goes, I think it's time to call your folks? How does Frank know that? There's no connection there. David never mentions his parents, and Frank doesn't know much about this guy. How would he know that it's his parents that sent Pilgrim after him? Have I missed something? No, no, you haven't. There was a throw... I thought about this. There was a throwaway line by the Russian about how it was a family and right. how his his family was the big kind of oil industry barons, right? That was it. 
Like we, it was yeah. never mentioned previously by or post since that. So it, it, they basically turned. It could have been an edit thing, or otherwise they've turned Frank Castle into Sherlock Bloody Holmes because he just connected <laughs> the dots in his mind palace. Yeah. I was like. It even took me a second. I was like, yeah. so, like, he's going, but it could have been, no, it wouldn't have been them. And I'm like, who? Oh, okay, yeah, I actually <laughs> know who, and it still took me a second. So the, so the fact Frank, who has been through the ringer, managed to figure this out, I'm like, okay. It feels like they just missed it. And as I think as John said when I was talking about this tomb, um, you may be, maybe with Micro in the TV show, he would have been searching up and going, oh, I wonder who's in control and would have the whole file there for Frank. There's no file for Frank on David, as far as we know. Uh, I don't think there is. Maybe I've missed something. Uh, maybe there's something back in one of the earlier episodes. But this is the problem with the storyline of the Schultzes. They have been on screen yeah. three times each, I think. Uh, David Schultz only twice and once in the photograph. Um, but we really haven't seen much of them and enough of them to remember every single interaction. So I don't know how you would, even if you're watching this 13 hours, I don't know how you'd remember all their interactions. But anyway, that's enough of David Schultz. He was on screen for less time than we've talked about him. <laughs> uh, but hopefully we'll see a bit more of him next episode. I'm sure we will. That's going to be the big moment in the last episode. Um, let's get on to our final bullet point because I loved this. This is another great Madani moment. Uh, bullet point number five, Madani versus Dumont. Yeah, I mean, for me, this episode was just bookended by some great scenes uh, and massive all-out action at the start. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the emotional play between Mahoney and, and Frank. And here we again have some great action uh, between Madani and Dumont. I, I love that her, you know, her phobia, her, her vertigo, her fear of heights comes into play here. Um, and uh, that that fight scene with the, the kettle whistling as well, it really reminded me of... Um, a horror movie yeah. uh, as the fight's going on, certainly with the knife. Um, I just thought it was really good. It almost was slightly like uh, Bunny Boiler, um, Fatal Attraction, and it was just really nicely played. And plus you have the, you know, the intense facial expressions of Madani here. I must say, um, I mean, there was part of me that started to laugh whilst you, it was like, ah. Mm. Like if only if this was a video cast, I could I could do the raised eyebrow or the bulging eyes or the kind of quizzical look or the kind of intent look to try and get more information out of Dumont after Madani had um, sort of figured out that there would be a connection between her and um, and Billy Russo. I mean, for me, when Dumont calls Madani, that to me was the most unbelievable thing i was thinking why are you doing that uh, demand why are you doing it i just did not understand where that was going maybe it was because she thought that billy was going to go after frank uh, mm -hmm. when he left the apartment and so that's why she was asking I think that was because it. otherwise it was like well you're you're home and dry you're free and then all of a sudden um you're getting in touch with a homeland security agent um so I was just like, ah, oh, you idiot. But it does feel like her place in that cult of Madani is what fires the spark in her brain. It fires Madani time. to go, 
Oh, hang on a second. You said something to me the other night that Billy said when he called the hospital 10 minutes ago. He said exactly the same thing. Frank is his own demon now. Um, it's exactly the same words that Dumont said. I love that Madani goes and confronts her about that. Doesn't get a reaction. This is exactly what you're saying, John, about her pushing Dumont. You know, she says that first and gets no reaction from Dumont. Then she goes, mm, let me level with you. Actually, I'm the one that brought Frank Castle back to town to kill Billy. Nope, that's not getting the reaction I want. Um, <laughs> do you ever cure any of those broken birds that you have? Nope, that's not getting the reaction. Like your father. <laughs> it's boom. like she's really pushed against. She's like, boom, got it. Right now we're going to go after each other. Yeah. Uh, as Dumont goes off to the bathroom and Madani has that great walk through the house. That's real. Um, that's really like a horror movie. You're absolutely yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I know. Look, I, this for me was brilliant. Like, I did like... I did like the, 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 the Frank is his own demon now. Like, I like that connection. I like uh-huh. that Madani, you could see it going, huh? Wait, how? oh. And then it all kind of rolling together. I liked that Madani kind of, the, I liked that kind of friendly Madani and then the prod, prod, prod. Oh, nothing. Okay, right. We're, go, we're like, I'm going to do the ton of bricks now. And then it comes yeah. through. <laughs> it was just like, is this is this little hammer working? No. What about this one? No. What? Are, whack! Oh, that worked great. I've opened. Yep. I've opened the, the can of worms. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked the fight. I I was slightly um, ashamed of Special Agent Madani <laughs> to a degree that she wasn't able to like a special agent who's been trained in armed arm combat that versus. Dumont, who's a psychologist, I was like, their skills shouldn't be as much. Like they should have like like taken out Madani's arm or something uh, more. Like they, they they should have like literally hobbled Madani to a degree. Um, right. So I was a bit yeah. like, well, it's not a hundred percent. But we got the most satisfying ending. Mm, yeah. Oh, cruel and heartless, Christopher. <laughs> I mean, it it felt like Mary Poppins had had an umbrella malfunction uh, with her <laughs> sort of on the pavement uh, just because it was just one of those things because of the this type of building. It's like they're in old London town sort of. Um, and I mean, I kind of felt sorry for Dumont really oh, yeah. uh, to some extent. And I thought the moment was quite poignant where you know obviously all the memories come flooding back as she kind of visualizes her father and herself as the her younger self um i thought that was really good um and then i suppose what must have gone through her mind when she sees billy and he doesn't do anything i'm not entirely sure yeah at least she saw the flowers i suppose well exactly you know, I think this scene was a really good scene. Um, there was something about the way that it was shot in the, the kind of dreamlike m- moment that it was that it was shot with Madani, where she's pushing Dumont and they're fighting with each other, and it slows down as Dumont goes out the window. It's like you don't see the break of the glass, and then you see Dumont falling outside, and the whistle from the kettles going in the kitchen. There's something about that moment that I was actually expecting that it was in Dumont's mind or in Madani's mind, um, that. This was a fear of Dumont that she was getting too close to the window and she would drop to the floor in a bowl or something like that. I didn't expect that that would be Dumont dead. It was something about the way that it was shot. It just felt a little bit dreamlike. Um, And I'm sure that's the intention because it obviously was her most irrational nightmare was that this was going to happen to her again. Somebody else was going to push her out a window like her father did to her as a child. Um, And it turned out to be true. This is what happened to her. This This was her end is exactly what she always feared. 
But it was a really weird moment. I don't know why, because the rest of the episode played so normally and so so uh, straightforwardly, I suppose, with all of the fight scene taken out in, in real time. Uh, you know, everything from the fight sequence of the caravan to this fight sequence in the hallway, all taken out real time like we've seen in all the Defenders shows. And then suddenly it stops for this kind of artistically shot scene where I just suddenly felt, oh, does that is she dead or is you know is the kettle going to be lifted off and she's actually making a cup of tea and thinking about if she attacked madani this could be the outcome i have to say i did think boiling water was going to go flying and that would have been pretty gruesome um i thought the knife going across the cheek was like oh okay grand another makeup Um, job for the makeup team yeah i mean the thing is and i suppose this is the only thing is how you know a psychologist or, or psychiatrist um with her training um I mean, Chris, you, you've talked about how she has kind of equal training with Madani, but how as her actual profession of being a psychologist, how she could not decipher those blatant facial expressions from Madani <laughs> yeah. that, oh, hang on, she's, uh, you know, it, it, it took a while for her to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, OK, she did. Uh, cop on eventually uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad they did because I, I actually did like all of this scene I think I love the horror vibe to it um, I love this conversation and confrontation between these two women with very strong uh, personalities very strong motivations that was really nicely done I just felt some of the sort of um, the ways or the lead up in which these two women were in the same room at um, her apartment, at Dumont's apartment, just felt a little forced uh, to some extent. And it, it, it was that really that kind of um, maybe just didn't sit right for, for myself. But I absolutely love these scenes mm-hmm. between Madani and Dumont, I have to say. Yeah. But, you know, and again, no criticism, no, no real shade on the actual scene. Once you've see it, seen it play out and you know that Dumont's dead, uh, it actually felt a bit Hitchcock. You know, you, you have that moment where you have Billy Russo arriving happily home, uh, a little spring in his step or at least some Dutch irises in his hand. Um, as Ooh, he sees, flower watch. <laughs> exactly, yeah, blue Dutch irises this time. Um, <laughs> but we see him seeing this body on the ground, see, seeing Dumont lying dead on the ground, and then looks up and sees Madani looking directly out of the window that DeMont fell out of uh, just a moment beforehand. That's a really good Alfred Hitchcock-style shot when you have these characters kind of meeting eyes uh, over those two levels of screen. You know, it's quite a, quite a cool shot overall. So I did really like the end overall. It's just in the moment, my feeling was, is this a dream? Is is this the way that DeMont's actually going to go? Yeah, I, I thought for, as John mentioned about the boiling water, I did think that they were going to scar Dumont, like that they were going to literally, that Madani was going to clock her with the kettle, that she, Dumont would be severely disfigured and then it would be Billy and Dumont and that would be, that's how they would like end up together, both of them horribly scarred, blah, blah, blah. So what we get with her lying on the ground, is she 100% dead? That's a question I wanted to ask, though. So there is, there's definitely no moments where Billy's calling the ambulance together. Uh, John was mentioning that there are some people around her, all have their phones out, that so somebody must be calling the police um, to come, or the, the ambulance to come and save her. Um, I, I think the moment where she's seeing her father lying and dying beside her as he closes his eyes and it flashes back to her as a kid, and then she closes her eyes, I think that's the indication that she died right there. But you're absolutely right. Obviously, the show ends 
right there and then black screen so um so yeah we we don't know can't say for definite but it feels like that would be the end of the character yeah like so for me i was like well maybe she's she survived once maybe she fires again (laughs) type of thing if only she'd fallen on her back yeah like billy has all the scars on his face she has all the scars on her body so as billy's face gets more and more messed up her body gets more because she just takes all the punishment right i did like the ending, the fade to black. I liked like seeing Madani looking down, looking at Billy, Billy looking up. I did expect a bit of Romeo, Romeo, kind of. <laughs> did you? you know, well, no, it, 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 it harkened back for me, if you will. Um, but yeah, look, it was. If it's the end of Dumont, it's the end of Dumont. It's it's a fitting end in that it's a good end for a good character. It's not what I would have done, but again, like that's it, it was a well-written ending if you, based on the character it was a bit on the nose in that uh-huh. she's had she has these fears uh and there's like it's like oh i'm afraid of dogs you know what i got eaten by dogs oh i'm afraid <laughs> of doors i got killed by a door i don't know how you would get killed by a door but okay imagine that could be that it just felt a bit on the nose but yeah it worked for the scene and obviously this is most likely going to be the tropey type motivation that turns Billy Russo back into Jigsaw because he, the woman he loved died at his feet at the hands of Badani. He's probably going to be walking up to that apartment uh, in full anger-ridden form uh, at the start of the next episode, I would say. But that's where we leave this episode of The Punisher, right? Yeah, I think so. A couple of notes from this episode, just because the music seemed to be really prevalent in this episode. Yeah. Um, the opening scene, the, uh, the wonderful uh, battle between uh, police car versus ambulance uh we had it scored by marilyn manson a song called say 10 uh, by marilyn manson a uh, really good choice actually i thought with the uh, with the refrain of god no say 10 i thought that was really good uh, it's from his 2017 album uh, heaven upside down um also the dying of of dumont on the pavement uh, i thought this was a really harsh choice of song but it's something that you might recognize you may not recognize this version of it the song is done by star anna uh, it's a cover version of go to hell by nina simone which is really harsh because it feels like they chose that because they've established that it was Dumont that pushed Billy as far as possible, whereas we didn't actually see that on the show. Yeah, So it's like the showrunners are kind of saying, go to hell, woman, you've now died, now you're paying for your sins, when in fact we don't really know that. She was trying to save Billy. That's what we kind of have learned throughout the season. But a beautiful song, nonetheless. Yeah, I like the song. Yeah, Yeah, no, good stuff. I mean, yeah, it definitely comes across as a little harsh um, uh, for... Dr. Krista Dumont's uh, lying, dying days or moments, for sure. R.I.P. Krista Dumont. And with that, on to our defence. Chris, do you defend The Punisher? Season 2, Episode 12, Collision Course, the penultimate episode of this season. I do defend this episode, but not in the way that I think anyone would like. Um, I defend it because it's wrapping up the storylines that it needs to wrap up it's painted itself into a corner and it's trying to do it in a most cohesive way so when you do have a jumbled jigsaw like this it's the picture as a whole kind of is coming together but there's one or two pieces to be fair that just shouldn't be there there's a corner piece right in the middle type thing and that's the best analogy i can kind of give for this whereas (laughs) the the picture it kind of is coming together. I'm happy with the, the activity we have done together is fun, but I'm tired now. And these pieces were all right. Like, let's just, yeah, okay. Dumont, right. That's fine. It was a fitting end. She is the corner piece there. Fine. 
Um, there's a whole piece from another jigsaw that just didn't make sense. But you know what? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get a, a scalpel and just put it in, and that for me is the the Schultz story. It's just like yeah, it's like it fits kind of right. Yeah, it's there's a bit of motivation. Right, done. I know that sounds bad, but they're doing the best of what they've been given, and I don't know why, but I'm happy with the kind of journey we've been on. Will I be happy with the with the destination? Now, ask me again in one hour um, when we finished our recording of episode 13, and I'll give my final review. But as of right now, I defend this episode because it is it's moving us closer to that resolution. But the unfortunate thing is we've still got two massive jigsaw pieces on the table. We've got the Pilgrim and we've still got Jigsaw. And those two holes need to be plugged. Can you put those pieces in in a good way that makes the picture a whole? I, I have to question that. Can we do that Maybe in one that's hour? Maybe we're going for with Jigsaw on the show, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's my that kind of defense. So Derek... On my terrible jigsaw analogy, do you defend this episode 12 of The Punisher Season 2? I absolutely do. I think we're actually ramping towards a really good finale for the show overall. Um, the opening scene with the car chase, I suppose I wasn't expecting anything to come out of that. I thought that was going to be somehow Frank might convince Mahoney to let him go just one last time to get himself out of there. I certainly wasn't expecting Pilgrim to come crashing into the scene, uh, taking them all out of there. And what followed was twists on things that I would have expected. You know, I would have expected at this point in the series, the 12th episode of the season, to have Pilgrim heading towards a showdown, not being taken down left, right and center by everybody. Curtis takes him down um, just before he takes Curtis down. He then gets shot in the leg. Then uh, he's obviously gotten knocked down by a car in this episode. He's pretty badly brutalized. And I thought he was going to be the big bad for the season. I didn't expect Billy to be looking forward to leaving town with his girlfriend this episode and then to have her taken away at the end of the episode you know uh, loads of different interesting things going on in this episode absolutely you're totally right chris i, I absolutely agree with you that's uh, that beeline story with the schultzes that absolutely should have been the main story for the season knock billy down to a secondary character with some big moments in the season that would have been cool for me but this is what we've got i suppose i'm not going to criticize any more than i have before i'll wait to the last episode of the season to give my final thoughts on the whole season of punisher season two but this episode overall really good episode and some fantastic scenes really enjoyed uh, some great moments with madani as well uh, in this episode john that's mine what's your defense or not defense of the punisher season two episode 12 i do defend this episode of the punisher i give it four and a half bookshot legs or should i say poppy seed breads out of five um yeah i mean i i, I think like uh yourselves i think there's elements here that maybe are uh, an underlying weakness maybe of the series of how it's been structured with the the two kind of arch villains and the two storylines but i have to say i really really enjoyed this episode mm -hmm. because it did wrap those things it was a collision course of these two together i know look at me um using the name of the episode in your, in your defense um 
I know, but um, you know, I love that opening scene. Um, the action, great stunt work, um, you know, really tense, and a great little emotionally tense moment between Mahoney um, and Frank, and then with Mahoney and with Madani. I love the fact that Pilgrim is just getting beaten down here, and I mean that that whole scene in the caravan is superb. I think it's an absolute standout here, mm-hmm. and I suppose the the after uh, effects of that were Amy stows away in the in the boot of his car. It, it was that kind of moment where, you know, I thought Pilgrim has Amy, but actually Amy has the Pilgrim. Uh, really uh, nice little moment there. And of course, uh, I really enjoyed just being taken out of the moment with Russo suddenly wanting to kind of settle down, you know, have 2.4 children, uh, a dog, a cat and a hamster, that kind of thing uh, with Dumont. And I loved the scene between Dumont and Madani um, in uh, in her apartment. I just thought it really smacked of a, a nice tense scene, an awkward scene. Uh, and the fight scene was just really great. It did remind me of so many of those horror thrillers that I do like uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and, yeah, it, it brings a lot together that maybe should have just been brought together a little earlier. But, yeah, I absolutely defend episode 12 of The Punisher. Well, there you have it. Three defends for three very different reasons. So, gentlemen, mm-hmm. I think it's about time we move on to some feedback. And don't forget, if you have some feedback and you'd like to get your dulcet tones on this very podcast, you can send us a voicemail through our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Or if you have your just feedback on, say, episode 13 or season two as a whole, you can email it to us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Or if you're on the Twitterverse and you want to come over and just give us a bit of a tweet, feel free to do that at DefendersCast. Or why not come over and join our fantabulous group and all the spoilerific posts and the fun we have there over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Gentlemen, I think it's about time we move on to some feedback for this one. Uh, yeah, our first piece of feedback is a voicemail from Ryan. Hey guys, Ryan here. We'd like to give a quick little review from episode three up into episode nine. Um, I've been struggling a bit with this, guys. Found it really hard to kind of get into it. Watched one episode and had a couple of days off and watched another episode or half an episode and gone back to it. Found that they've really kind of dragged out some storylines that they didn't really need to. Um, found it unnecessary because they had some good storylines, some really good acting. Good to see Turk in episode three or four, I think it was. Really good to see him. Uh, I was a bit disappointed in the uh, jigsaw face they gave Billy. But more and more I'm getting into the the uh, series. I've got to admit, I'm actually glad they didn't. He's a really good actor. And I think they're trying to... What I'm getting the feeling is that they're really trying to emphasise the fact that he is cracked up like a jigsaw in his head and he can't put anything together. So they've done a really good job of doing that. There's been some really good acting, some really good fight scenes, but it has been... It hasn't had that, sorry, uh, have to sit down and press next to watch the next episode. Episode 9, I just watched, was really good. Some good fight scenes with Frank. Loved the part when the guy said to Frank in the uh, alleyway, hey, you can't take us. This is six of us before he's even got it out. Frank's taken five of them out already. So really good. Like Episode 10, 11, 12, 13, bring it on. Let's see what happens. But um, yeah, so far, I'm just about defending this series, guys. But thanks a lot for your feedback so far. Take care. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. 
Thanks so much for your thoughts, Ryan. It looks like you're around the same place as we were in around episode eight or nine, uh, that moment where you're not too sure where the series is going and where some of the major characters of the series, at least you thought they were at the start of the season, where they might be. Uh, but yeah, it does start to build up a little bit better since then. Yeah, thank you, uh, Ryan, for the feedback. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it did have that um, feeling of dragging out. Um, I, I remember it with Jessica Jones season two as well, where I felt I was saying the same kind of points each time. And I felt I was doing that again at that stage of this. And I was like kind of going, am I really fully invested here? And then they kind of began to get the groove back again Um so, uh, yeah, I, I think I can definitely see um, and agree with with your view there, definitely. Yep, thank you so much, Ryan, for the feedback. Yeah, it's always nice to have Turk back. Um, yeah, we'll uh, rest in peace, Turk. Oh, hopefully he's going to be back at Jessica Jones to rent out the shows, right? Very true. Forgot about that. Thank you so much. I'm really hoping that the 13th episode of Jessica Jones has everybody back or they make a 14th episode where everybody comes back for a one-off Defender special, just like, you know, the reunion episode. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be very cool. Basically, Swarma. The Swarma scene from the Avengers. But they're all just sitting there uh, in Foggy's (laughs) butcher shop. Chris, you know my thoughts on the Swarma scene. I know. Uh, (laughs) Okay. It cannot happen. It should happen. Can't. Can't shwarma, won't shwarma. Gentlemen, let's move on to some feedback for episode 10. Over on Facebook, Tina Brown said, I always love Karen when she's not in Daredevil. And I did again here. The thing that bugs me is this. Even if Frank didn't kill these particular women, it was perfectly possible to believe that he did. Getting him off the moral hook on the technicality does not cut it. He peppered that office with bullets without making sure it was empty. I'm not saying it was a deal breaker for me. I still love Frank. But this should not be swept under the rug. And I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. Mm. Thank you so much, Tina, for that feedback. Yeah, uh, yeah being quite honest, eh? it's a thin line of the moral code here. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely with you there, Tina, uh, on Frank kind of being given a free pass there. Um, and whether that's really what, again, Dina Madani, I mean, she is kind of going off pieced here i think uh, quite considerably but certainly that technicality doesn't cut it because yeah he absolutely leathered that office with bullets um, and and that's partly why i just felt if only he had done it i think that would have been really um significant um, and it, it could have weighed him down and you know if we were getting a season three it could be that you know we kind of leave behind the ghost of his of his wife uh, and and have a bit more of that guilt still raging or, or lingering with him maybe but that's kind of like leaving behind the the anger that drives the hulk to become well, the hulk yeah, i think maybe. it's kind of his main makeup but uh, thanks so much for that feedback tina i know you had a particular uh, issue at that moment in uh, in episode 10 john so i'm glad that tina also had exactly the same uh, problem with that that scene as well and also some feedback on episode 12 jamie alexander says my absolute favorite episode of the season so far i enjoyed the opening scene so much i watched it three times before continuing i'm not the biggest marilyn manson fan but i can't imagine a more perfect song for a chase scene 
involving a violent, murderous man in religious garb. <laughs> it is almost perfect. It's like as if it's written for that scene. The album did come out in 2017, so you never know. Maybe they did talk to uh, talk to Marilyn Manson and ask him to write it for that scene. <laughs> Jamie goes on to say, I'm sad that Curtis was overpowered and beat up again. I hate that this seems to be a regular thing for him, but I realise he's a medic and not a combat soldier. I really wanted to see him get the upper hand of Pilgrim. That being said, I'm relieved the gay senator isn't the true villain here. I mean, I know David's father is the one who sent Bil- Pilgrim on his damage control mission. I was just worried for a minute that David would have been involved. Loved the face-off between Dumont and Madani. Unfortunately, that probably be- means Billy is going after her now. I really, really, really want him to remember what he did already. I can't. He can't be held responsible for his actions last season if he doesn't remember them. I'm hoping something jogs his memory before the end of the next episode. This is the one I was talking about, guys, uh, earlier on in the episode. This is the piece of feedback that says exactly what I want to say about Billy. The fact that he doesn't remember what happened to him means... The whole punishment that Frank delivered at the end of the last season, well, basically, it's just falling on deaf ears. This guy is walking around with a cut-up face, and he doesn't even know the reason. He know he's heard it. People have told him, but he doesn't know the reason, and that's really important here. You know, this idea that he was going to walk away scot-free with no punishment for all the things and all the sins he'd committed in this episode, it just felt completely unfair. It felt like it robbed Frank of that moment of uh, getting justice for his family at the end of last season. So hopefully now... We possibly will get him getting his memories back uh, before the end of the season. So he, at least he can be held accountable for what he's done. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is um, a really good point, Jamie, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Because, um, yeah, th- that that should be a big part of this character. And at the moment, uh, it's not. So, yeah, I, I really like that. I think as well, you know, with um, with David... That moment where, you know, you just don't know. I I was the same, worried that, well, maybe he does because we just didn't have enough time to spend with him. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, his realization of what's happened and who might be responsible for that, i.e. his parents. Um, yeah, you can see it genuinely in his face. There. Um, and certainly given that Frank is in his face as well. So uh, that would probably make you act the hell out of uh, that as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for the feedback, Jamie. Uh, Robert Phillips also has some feedback on episode 12 as well. He says, what a pre-credit sequence. I really didn't expect that, and it set the tone for me. The episode unfolded in ways I wasn't quite ready for. Yet again, the use of an in-car sat-nav proves detrimental to people. Always, always use the sat-nav on your phone when heading to safe houses. (laughs) Pilgrim not kidnapping Amy and instead putting himself in danger... Kurt is fighting like a man without a prosthetic leg, and the David arc was worked through with much more inventiveness than the trope would suggest. Anyone else think summer pudding when the pilgrim was removing shot from his thigh? Um, Well, that's another one to add to our ever-expanding dessert list uh, for pilgrim's uh, leg. Yes, spotted dick, summer pudding, scones with raisins, and... um, Poppy seed bread. Poppy seed bread, <laughs> indeed. Uh, gosh, we'll, we should have done sourdough poppy seed bread. Then we could be massively hipster. <laughs> 
And Bob continues, and then there was the corridor battle for this season, the law versus the healthcare provider. (laughs) In case you were wondering, UK psychiatric and clinical psychology training does not include combat sessions you can use against security force agents, though. I hope it does body language, though, Bob, because to be honest, Dumont should have really clocked that Madani uh, had something in for uh, Mm -hmm. much earlier on. Uh, Bob says, what a dreadful way to die for poor Dr. Doom. I half expected the cut to leave Billy staring at the window, unsure if she had jumped. Instead, I wanted to leap onwards to see what the final showdown brings us. Thank you, Bob, for uh, that feedback. Yes, indeed. Um, a lot to go on here. Yeah, sat-navs are pretty dangerous, really, um, I think. And, uh, yeah, I I agree with you. I think the pre-credit sequence, I think that car chase really, uh, like you say, um, for me, set the tone for this episode. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, some of it's maybe failings of timing, maybe more than anything. Um, you know, I was ready to let go because I, I really felt it open with an absolute wallop uh, and it continued that all the way through yeah. until Dr. Dumont walloped onto the pavement. Oh, Dr. Dumont, how did we not call her Dr. Doom since the beginning of the season? I know, well done, I know exactly. I, 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 I'm bravo for that, man. I'm just like, now I'm sitting here going, that's probably the best nickname we could have used. Absolutely, absolutely. The Dr. Doom of the MCU on Netflix. There you go. Thank you so much, Bob, for the feedback. And can I just give the suggestion that maybe the UK psychiatric and clinical psychology training should include combat training? Just, just, I'm just, I'm just putting, it's like extracurricular activities, you know, it's kind of works towards your overall training errors. So like the more you put in, I don't know. I just, I'd like to see Krav Maga, uh, while at the same time. So I'm going to destroy your body, but mend your mind. <laughs> Moving on, our final piece of feedback comes from Michael Downey, who had this to say. This was a really action-packed, a lot of brutal fighting by Curtis and Madani. That Madani fight read almost like a horror movie with jump scares and all. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the Pilgrim speech to Curtis. It seemed as if though he was saying he almost realised the paradoxical nature of his life's past as each breath of the dialogue came out. Really powerful moment. I'm really glad Curtis made it, though. Anybody else thinking that Curtis wasn't going to make it out of this episode? Because I kind of got that feeling as well. Yeah, me too. I I thought Curtis wasn't going to make it out. And I'm really pleased, like yourself, Michael, that uh, he did make it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really cover Pilgrim's speech to Curtis. But I I think you made a really good point there um, as to, you know, him kind of setting the scene as, you know, in the past, he would have hated Curtis as soon as he'd walked into the the caravan because he would have judged him mm-hmm. and now he says it's your kind of lucky day here because i i, I won't do that immediately um and and that there's um a weirdness to to that that you know he is also yet to fathom i think uh because he's on this uh real uh journey of doubt i suppose um and i agree as we mentioned in the podcast this horror movie element there for Madani and uh, Dumont's fight was just really good, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the question is, gentlemen, I will leave it like this. Will he make it out of the next episode? That's (laughs) that's a part of me where I'm like, he's battered, he's bruised, and... Okay, let's see. Can he survive the next hour? Well, I don't normally read the synopsis for the episodes ahead of time. But I did for this one. <laughs> and it's totally non-spoilery. It's basically a list of every single character and says, 
no bullet is spared. So <laughs> make of that what you will. <laughs> da, 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 da. And on that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen and fellow defenders, we will be back with our review of the Punisher season two finale, episode 13, The Whirlwind, next week. Please remember, we would love to have you subscribing to our feed. So go on over to any punishing or pacifist podcast catcher over at DefendersTVPodcast.com and you can subscribe to us. And while you're there, why not maybe go over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or anything else in between and follow us there as well. Don't forget, you can also share the love. We will have a host of content coming up over the next couple of months. Obviously, as Derek said at the beginning of the show, we will have the MCU films. We will also have Jessica Jones season three and we have our doctor strange comic book coverage as well and as promised at some point in the future when i get off my web swinging hole we will also have (laughs) spider-man but we will be back thank you so much and i can't wait to see you as we review the final episode of this season well i hope you never become a superhero (laughs) chris uh because that image has just made my eyes bleed. I he, think. He's Spider-Man. Spiders spin their web from a certain area. <laughs> it is anatomically correct. It is scientific. You proof. are correct. It's you are. Remember, if you did listen to our Into the Spider-Verse podcast, you found that both Chris and John did kind of equate themselves to Peter B. Parker from the other universe. He basically does sit around eating pizza rather than actually fighting crime. So, <laughs> yeah. so I kind of get it, Chris. Thank I kind of get it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us for this discussion on the punisher season two of the penultimate so we'll we'll be back with the final episode of the punisher also don't forget we are talking about comic books with dr strange but also other comic book related shows that we're talking about we also have gotham the final season is going on at the moment we're halfway through the final episodes of gotham it is a fantastic palate cleanser when you've got a show like the punisher going on and a crazy show like gotham going on and uh, the introduction of the joker and harley quinn going on at the moment which is really good fun to watch so go check that out on Gotham TV Podcast and if you're into other types of comics I also do the comic talk section on The Walking Dead cast, the best podcast about The Walking Dead, which is a show that's actually excellent this season really been enjoying it so far with the new change of showrunner so come and join me over there uh, we do the comic talk, talk section with my friend Lucy so uh, yeah, lots of stuff to listen to. Excellent stuff yeah, thank you very much. Talk to you soon, fellow defenders. Yeah, as always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always, speaking with you. Yes, I'm off to scrape Mary Poppins off the pavement. And <laughs> once I have done and patched her back together, kind of, uh, we'll speak with you again soon. Bye. Avengers Endgame coming up later on in the year. We've got uh, Spider-Man Homecoming coming up later on in the year as well. And also, that's not Spider-Man Homecoming, is it? Far from home. Thank you. And I I mean, I know like Frank has been called out as that, um, you know, the anti-villain. Sorry. (laughs) The anti-villain. The hero. Um, (laughs) He has, you know, that. Um, I just thought it was really good. It almost was slightly like uh, Bunny Boiler, um, Fatal Attraction, and it was just really nicely done. I mean, 
I loved you it. You say that I'm thinking of Scream with Drew Barrymore and the popcorn popping in the background no. as she's being chased around the house, like a horror <laughs> movie kind of trope. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, each to their own, I suppose. Uh, but it... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> that was even worse. I'm sorry, so I can't. Sorry, no, I like it. It's not this. I'm so sorry. That's basically the. <laughs> Yeah, shut up. I'm in the flow here. <laughs> for, for me, it's nothing like Scream, but anyway, sorry, I can't. Drew Barrymore won with the popcorn yeah. popping as she's getting attacked, and it just gets burning and burning and burning, and her parents come home yeah, to I know. the fire alarm going off with the popcorn I just felt popping. it was more fatal attraction because Dumont reminds me a bit of Bunny Boiler. Okay. Um, sorry. Outtake. <laughs> <laughs> but we see him seeing this body on the ground, see, seeing Dumont lying dead on the ground, and he looks up and sees Dumont looking out of the very window that she's fallen from uh, as Billy's looking up at her uh, as it fades to black. That's a real... Darnley. Did I call her? Dumont. You called her Dumont looking out the window. Okay, gentlemen, strap in. This is going to be a long one. Derek, you're going to have to edit the shit out of this. I do defend <laughs> the Punisher. This is going out tomorrow. <laughs> Make it as short as possible. We've talked for an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> All right, lads, strap in. This is going to be the shortest rambling I've ever done, and it's going to be on point. Um, <laughs> don't forget, if you have feedback and you want to leave us a quick voicemail so that we can plug it into this audio podcast. No, I don't know what happened there. 